This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. We're live with you every day from noon to four Eastern, 11 to one Pacific for me. It's Kelly and Ramya with Grant and Kelly today. Ramya is a little under the weather. We're all wishing her the very best and hope she will be back ASAP. Time to get into our next discussion. This should be a really interesting one, I think, Kelly. Joining us now is Laura Bain, and she's joining us from Nova Scotia to discuss a new report which says that Nova Scotia has the highest poverty rate in Canada. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the show. Hi, Grant. Happy to be here. It is lovely to chat with you again, uh, even though we're... I love these reunions. Oh, I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, the ATW reunion things just kill me. I love it. Yeah, it literally feels like we're just, you know, chatting on the phone or chatting in another production meeting, even though we have a little bit of a heavier topic here. Do you want to just dive into this report uh, that you're going to be talking about, what it says? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is a report by United Way Halifax, and it came out a couple weeks ago. It's called United in Poverty Action, and it sort of gives an overall picture of some of the circumstances in Nova Scotia related to poverty since 2018, which is when I'm assuming they released their last report. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. overall, it paints a fairly grim picture. I think you might have mentioned off the top there that Uh, It does say that Nova Scotia has the highest rate of poverty in the country right now. And it talks about some of the ways that this is manifesting with one of the ways that people I think are most acutely aware of being housing insecurity that we're seeing here. Mm -hmm. So just to give an example of uh, something that's in the report, between 2019 and 2023, so over sort of a four-year period, the number of people who were sleeping rough or unhoused in, in Halifax went from 269 individuals to 1,082 individuals. So that's a quadrupling Man. in that time period. And of course, that's not counting, you know, folks who are, are hidden homeless. It also looks at things like food insecurity. It tells us that Nova Scotia has the second highest rate of food insecurity in the country uh, and that there's been a nearly a 20 percent increase in food bank usage since 2019. So all of this is just sort of the evidence of the situation and as I said how this poverty that it talks about is manifesting. It's uh, Laura it's so surprising to me because as an Ontario person and I'm not even going to get into the haves haves nots in, in, in the way Ontario is viewed and anything that's a whole topic of itself and some of the privileges or things we have but some of the people will argue about the population here. But one of the things I've had to hear for years since I've come from Quebec even uh, as a child is people wanting to go west out to BC. Oh, it's like it's the promised land. And in more recent years, out east. Everybody loves the idea of living near the ocean and living out in mm-hmm. Nova Scotia. I know so many people who have transplanted themselves and you start scratching your head saying, well, what, what's going on and how does this contribute, if at all, to some of the things you're describing here? So what are some of those reasons that they're pointing to yeah. that make things so dire in Nova Scotia? 
So it is certainly a complex picture, um, but some of it is, as you mentioned, having to do with an increase in our population. So up until about 10 years ago, say around 2015, there were actually concerns that Nova Scotia didn't have enough population growth and that there weren't enough sort of younger folks to support an aging population. So at that time, the government put certain policies in place to try and increase the number of people coming into Nova Scotia from other countries, for example, around uh, policies around international students and transitioning um, to residency after they completed their schooling, things like that. So some of these efforts have started to pay off over the last few years. But when the pandemic happened, something that nobody had anticipated was the unprecedented number of people from other provinces who wanted to move here. Um, and some reasons for that were, were folks wanting to escape cities during the pandemic, uh, moving to what they perceived as a more slow pace of life uh, compared to somewhere like Vancouver or Toronto. Certainly, if we're talking two or three years ago, uh, Nova Scotia was a more affordable place. A lot yes. of people were digital nomads because they were working from home, so they really could move uh, somewhere else. And then, of course, the success we had with our COVID policies here and kind of that enticement of having lower virus numbers exactly so we had this sort of record breaking population growth but the infrastructure really wasn't in place to support that and what that led to was a severe housing shortage and this meant that landlords can increase rents so there's been a lot of things like rent evictions which i know have been an issue um across the country and people having to oh, yeah. really stretch beyond their means to put a roof over their heads or in the worst case scenario not being able to stretch far enough not having anything at that lower end and and becoming unhoused. And then, uh, you know, we've seen rising food costs across the country. That's certainly happening here. But in Nova Scotia, we have relatively low wages and low income assistance rates compared to the rest of the country. Uh, so, for example, a single individual with a disability here in Nova Scotia receives about $950 a month on assistance or, you know, between eleven dollars and $12,000 a year. There's a couple of variables, but like good luck trying to survive on that and sort of related to disability and related to this poverty that we're seeing here. Nova Scotia has the highest rate of people with disabilities across the country with 37% of our population having at least one disability. And we know that for a variety of reasons, disability can go hand in hand with poverty. Yeah, it's so interesting and, and goes in tandem with a thought that I've always had about uh, our country where we just have so many really charming communities like yours, where it sounds like you guys are, are little, literally a victim of like your own success, just being so charming and handling COVID so well and, and just doing really well. But on the other hand, we really don't have a whole lot of that kind of social safety net do we that the, the, we don't really have the infrastructure or the help in order to really help people experience the joy of communities across the country yeah of course and and i mean there have been benefits to um you know the increase in population that we've had and i certainly want to place the emphasis on the um inadequate infrastructure rather than mm -hmm. kind of villainizing the people that have come into the province oh, but i think gosh, we really yes. didn't no, have of kind of the infrastructure i i sort of think it's hard for people who haven't lived here for a long time though to understand just how dramatically things have changed in terms of the rents and the housing prices an article that i read kind of 
preparing for this segment said that uh, housing prices have gone up 25% in Nova Scotia between 2022 and 2023. So that's just astronomical. And, you know, I think there's really a feeling of people being kind of trapped in whatever their current living situation is. Uh, for example, mm-hmm. you know, my partner and I, we feel fortunate to have this one-bedroom apartment that we are in, but we would very much like to be in a one-bedroom plus den or a two-bedroom apartment. But, um, you know, I've been in this place for a couple of years, so the rent has only gone up so much every year. So it's it's hundreds of dollars below what the market value would be for someone coming in. And if we were to move into a two-bedroom, we'd actually have to double what we were paying every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, you know, and, and again, just like with the number of unhoused people kind of seeing those uh, tent encampments on the ground, uh, like especially in the downtown core, and a lot of people people who are really obvious need of support, uh, mental health, addiction, and otherwise. It's really um, changed the feeling of the city over the last few years. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine, but except I stop and think because I saw what happened here in London. Then we had all these Toronto people coming here because they didn't have to be in the office all the time. And you wonder how much property is being bought up across the country, causing this effect with that mentality from the big conglomerates or that have that mentality of, hey, let's get people you know, in a position where anyone coming in, we they have to pay more. Laura, are there any solutions that you've come across either in this report or elsewhere? Yeah, we've talked about how bad things are. Is there any way out of this? Um, Well, the report talks about the need for changes that emphasize human rights, equity, and decreasing income disparity. I I totally agree with that, although it's a little bit vague. It talks about increasing resources for organizations working at the advocacy and community level. Uh, I, I, you know, completely agree with that, although I think, of course, this is coming from a not-for-profit, so we would expect them to advocate for something like that. You know, as I said, 37% of Nova Scotians have a disability and looking at that current level or lack thereof of support, I think that a dramatic increase in the funding that people are receiving would be a step in the right direction. And Mm -hmm. I personally think that that should come through the Canada Disability Benefit because that has talked about lifting people out of poverty. I know there's no number tied to it right now, but kind of getting people above that market basket measure And, uh, you know, I think other than that, really the city needs to put a massive effort or the province needs to put a massive effort into affordable housing, maybe repurposing some of those abandoned buildings that we have downtown that have seemed to increase over the last few years. And I think, uh, you know, increasing access to health care because we know there's this complex bi-directional relationship between access to health care and poverty, including um, mental health and addiction supports, but also... So, you know, lack of a family doctor and people maybe not being able to work, for example, because they are experiencing a health issue that's been ongoing. Well, absolutely. If you're experiencing homelessness or you're experiencing a health issue and can't get proper care, that that pretty much is the focus of your life, which I think people don't quite understand when they're not willing to do anything about it. You could be contributing to society a, a, a lot more if we could just eliminate some of these barriers. Mm-hmm. for people uh thanks laura that's really uh insightful and totally agree uh changing gears a little bit here to your second topic uh, you wanted to tell us about an upcoming online class for people who are blind or partially sighted 
Yeah, that's right. Maybe um, leave people with something just a little more hopeful <laughs> or more positive that they can uh, engage in. So I want to tell people about an on an online intro level ballet class that is specifically designed for adults who are blind or partially sighted. So this is with the company Darkroom Ballet, who I'm sure some listeners and viewers have heard of. Uh, it's with instructor Krishna Washburn, who is herself a blind ballet dancer and dance instructor. She's actually the only teacher in the English-speaking world who's teaching traditional blind ballet technique. And so I've taken the intro level course. I've actually taken it twice. And something that's just so cool about this course and why I kind of want to spread the gospel is that it's open to anyone anywhere in the world who is a blind or partially sighted adult. It's completely free of charge. And you can join online over Zoom, or if you don't have access to Zoom, you can actually just call in over the phone because it is 100% accessible for those who are blind or partially sighted. You're not going to miss anything by not seeing what's happening on the screen. Awesome. So we're a little tight of time. I really'd love to know what you love, if there's anything else, but also, Laura, what do you say is the easiest way for people to get the info? Well, I think what I enjoyed was taking a class that was specifically designed for uh, blind and partially sighted students. It wasn't an afterthought. And she really does an amazing job of kind of conveying the specialness of that uh, blind dancing tradition. And so I would say that, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be quick here. What do I want to leave okay. people with? Like, I, yeah, I just want to say that I think it's a, a kind of an emotional journey for people as much as it is about learning ballet technique. Um, but it is quite a challenging course and you have to be committed to showing up every weekend to doing your rehearsals, which I found difficult. So I would say, mm. you know, sign up for it if you feel uh, prepared to do that. But apart from that, there's really no um, previous dance experience uh, required. It's assumed you have no level of knowledge on that. And it is Perfect. open to people of, of quite different fitness levels. So if folks Fantastic. want to know more, there's a new cycle starting right at the beginning of March, March 9th. And they can go to darkroomballet.com to find out about that particular class or any other classes that they are offering that might be Fantastic. Thank you so much, Laura. We really love chatting with you. And thanks for all the info. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Laura Bain joins us once a month to deliver news and highlights from the East Coast. Coming up in the next hour, Jeffrey Rainey enjoys collecting hats, but it's a recent interest. We find out how it all got started on our collections chat. Plus, Nathan Sartori, program coordinator for To Live, tells us about an upcoming described acrobatic performance of The Mirror. But up next on our community report with Tony Framark, she tells us about a CNIB Western social meetup taking place later this week. Stick with us. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.